Hello, you are very welcome to the Inside Our Schools podcast, podcast where we put all the current issues around teaching in Irish secondary schools under the microscope. I'm your host, Andrew Phelan. And in this episode, we discuss the return to school after the Christmas break. Uh, Now, this is obviously a topic that is very, very fluid and is moving uh, almost hourly, never mind daily. So even as I'm sitting here editing out the dog barking in the background of this interview, um, we're hearing on the news that, you know, the the schools may well be closed uh, or even removing to remote learning until until February. So it is it is moving uh, quite at a quick pace. Um, Having said that, a lot of the stuff, I would say nearly all the stuff in this podcast is still very, very relevant because it's discussing really the handling of the whole situation uh, by the department, by the the government, uh, teachers feelings on what's happening in schools, what what possibly may happen in schools and where where we're going to be going from here. Uh, So a lot of it is very, very relevant our guests uh, are three of the same guests that we had in previous podcasts that's mark walsh uh, sandra Fay, seamus Keane, and uh, we have a new guest uh, today which is who's robert whelan and anybody who's been following educational matters on twitter over the last number of years would definitely know uh, robert whelan um you know his opinion his his tweets and his opinions are, are always very very entertaining but always but always on point um and finger on the pulse uh, so i just felt the need we, we, we had to ask him to come on uh, the podcast to hear his opinion uh, on what's happening in schools around covid and and so on so yeah um so look again if you like this podcast uh, subscribe um and of course we've an email address here inside our schools podcast at gmail.com so you can email in your opinions if you'd like to come on the show let us know and, and let us know what topics you'd uh, like to discuss although beware it is a bit like jackass if you pick a topic you may well say well you've got to do it so you could be invited on to to speak about that uh, topic so yeah you can contact us uh, and as as always um uh, that all the guests here are speaking in a personal capacity it's their personal opinions they don't represent their unions uh, they're not giving the opinion of their union they're just giving their own personal opinion uh, in all uh, these interviews so look uh, i hope you enjoy and yeah it is the, the podcast is a little bit longer than we would like uh, but there was a lot of issues to discuss um so uh yeah look we, we instead of editing out half it, we just said you know Let's leave it there. People can listen to the conversation. Uh, I'm sure it's very similar to conversations that are happening uh, in your staff rooms um, and so on. So listen, enjoy. So uh, lads, thanks uh, very much for coming along again. Uh, it's our second podcast, I suppose. Um, it's one that's quite relevant, relative at the moment, I suppose, with uh, everything that's going on today. For example, we have um, over 6,000 cases uh, of the coronavirus uh, reported in Ireland. Um, there's about 70, 70 people reported in ICU. So again, it seems to be growing and growing, growing after the Christmas break. And of course, we're at the point now where um, schools have been postponed, I suppose, for a few days and they're now opening on the 11th or the government seem insistent today uh, on all the radio and television that they are they want to or is their intention to go ahead and open on the 11th uh, we haven't heard anything much yet from from Neffet and so on so I suppose given that it has been on the radio and on the TV over the last few days um, I think we do need to discuss it um, because we are all teachers here and um, so we have the same guests as the last time as I told you in the intro um, and you know 
it's something that definitely needs to be discussed. Uh, so we'll, I suppose we'll just we'll kick it off. And, and I suppose, Robert, you uh, are the new guest on the show, so you can jump in here first if you, if you like. Uh, give us your opinions on, on what's happening in, in schools and, and so on. Yeah, thanks, Andrew. Um, it's a very interesting... Thanks for inviting me onto the programme, by the way. Um, it's a very interesting thing, which is ongoing in the schools. Um, I think if you look at my Twitter account from August onwards, I thought we were a bit cavalier uh, initially uh, in our reopening of schools. Uh, at the time, during the summer, uh, when, the, when the, the plan to reopen the schools was released, we had very, very low numbers of cases and we had, we're in the, the double digits. If you go back as far as, as I am here, I'll take the 1st of September. So I'll take the, the 31st of August, so it's 53 new cases. Uh, in across the country and 25 in Dublin. Now, we, if you want to compare that to today, we have, as you just said, 6,110 cases just announced and 3,655 in Dublin. And the situation appears from what I can see, and there appears to be a level of denial amongst the, the highest levels of, uh, of governments and in effort uh, to a huge extent in that the schools will remain open. Now, I know they've closed from, uh, from uh, Wednesday to Friday this week, but it was my genuine belief that I felt they would do everything that they could. Uh, I think things got so bad in the week after Christmas that they would do everything that they could to reopen again next Monday. And really, when you look at what Joseph, Joseph Madigan has been saying this morning on RTE, and the minister held a meeting with opposition uh, education spokespeople today, and basically had nothing to add if you if you listen to uh, what he's what has come out of that meeting uh, that in effect you know we'll make a decision on thursday and uh, they're not actually meeting again until uh, we'll make a decision on wednesday because the cabinet's not meeting until, until wednesday and uh, effort will decide on thursday and there's this sort of cavalier number of cases people want to know what the situation is it was very, very tough um, for teachers, pupils, parents uh, last March uh, to May. Online, on, online stuff is difficult to do, but there, um, the, the emphasis should always be entirely on safety. And I have really wondered, uh, have we now just gone, gone so far that uh, we're, we're, we're now coming out with politicians saying so schools are still safe, schools are still safe, and the cases are now six, over 6,000. So uh, the narrative, the narrative, seriously, the, the politics of this will probably take over. And in, in, in essence, they didn't want to, it seems to me that they did not want to close the schools on a sort of more permanent basis. Um, in other words, go online. But it also seems to be the case that there seems to be a huge level of denial. And so when you look at the, the figures quoted today, I mean, there's 744 people in hospital. Um, you know, it was 274 on October 18th. That was three, day, three or four days before we actually went to level five. The, the first time we went to level five, you could say. Uh, that's predicted to be 2,500 people later this month uh, with, a, uh, with COVID, just COVID alone in hospitals, uh, 430 in, in intensive care. Um, there's 3,000 people in the health service who are either out sick because of COVID or because they're a close contact. And we have this sort of sort of no man's land where schools are safe. Everything is, everything is, you know, 
what's the big deal, really? And the minister is meeting people in the opposition, as I said there a moment ago, is meeting people, uh, the opposition supposed people, and is really adding nothing. She's simply saying what she's, uh, what uh, Joseph Madigan said this morning. And we have so, so, some bizarre stuff going on. I mean, uh, Joseph Madigan says, oh, he this morning, she goes, uh, schools haven't been shut. They've extended the holidays. I mean, this is so. This is insulting people's intelligence, insulting the intelligence of just about everyone who's involved in schools. Um, you know, this, the decision has already been made. It's the stuff we're being told. Uh, you know, th this is. You know, she also went on to say that child-to-child -child transmission is 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 not is uncommon. Child-to-adult uh, transmission of virus is uncommon. This goes against international evidence. If I mean, if you go and uh, listen to what Dr. Anthony Fauci has said on this matter. Uh, for a preeminent, you know, scientist in, in the United States and doctor, is that child-to-child -child transmission is effective as child-to-adult transmission beyond the, beyond the age of ten. That has effectively been proven, and in effect, we are we are being given a set of set of stats to keep us happy. And really, I wonder, um, is it really really fair to sort of leave people in limbo like this and not give them more clarity regarding the the closing or opening of schools next Monday. So, yeah, <laughs> one thing, uh, the last particular point you're making there kind of stands out as well to me when they're saying that, you know, it's relatively safe and that, you know, you don't get it from kids. Well, I mean, I, I remember from the very early days of this crisis, uh, when you're looking at the reports coming out of China and what they were saying is that this disease is very, so dangerous because it spreads through children asymptomatically you don't even know they have it and they bring it from household to household and around and that's how this thing is spreading so rapidly because you don't know who has it and, and in most cases i think even the international figures and all, all doctors agree that's up to 70 percent of children under age of 10 don't have any symptoms and even it, then once you go up to 18 it's up to 50 percent uh, have no symptoms and so on and, and that's well, how that's how this is spreading but even dr fauci said that but i think in england today even the sage report in england came out today or yesterday and and and, and that it shows uh, that actually the, the primary person normally to get this in any household is the child it's usually a child and actually i think it's from from 12 until 16 um are seven times more likely to be the ones who bring this in to which is secondary school level well, to ones to bring this well, into the household you know just to come back in there now, Andrew, boris johnson just said it half an hour ago and i'm just quoting directly he says schools are safe which is what we've been, our politicians have been telling us and what Nefford have been telling us. He said, schools are safe, but vectors for transmission. Mm. Well, that's just precisely yeah. the reason why they're unsafe. Yeah. You know, people yeah. are going in, picking up the virus. Uh, if they're young, they're probably less likely to have symptoms, complete, going home to their parents, going possibly even to their grandparents, and they're transmitting the virus. Now, in some circumstances, they, could uh, they will transmit that almost totally to their, you know, their peers, uh, possibly to teachers, and it has happened in schools. And I really wonder about the figures we're getting from effort. I'm not going to, you know, you know, this is probably a separate conversation in some way. Uh, but all of us here are in schools. We see them at lunchtime. In my school, the lunch break is 35 minutes. the The morning break is 15 minutes, and that's 50 minutes of the day when they they're eating and they're talking and they don't have to have their masks on for obvious reasons because yeah. they're eating. That's more than enough time. I mean, yeah. the, the definition of a close contact is 15 minutes of contact with a person. And they're just giving an example of, and there's no uh, 50 minutes ongoing. And it's, I mean, you know, it's just not, um, it's just not sort of uh, realistic to expect uh, people to eat separately or, 
you know, teenagers are teenagers, you know, they, you know they'll, they do the social distancing superb. But let me just clarify this. My students have been absolutely superb as they have been right across the country. But I mean, they're not robots. I mean, they can't yeah. switch off. They can't go somewhere else and eat separately alone uh, two meters away from their, from their peers and, you know, uh, work from there. So, you know, we have to have it. Uh, there's this sort of sense of, you know, the idea that schools are controlled environments, they're safe. Nobody catches the virus. It was a complete, it was, it was complete sort of, it was a nice, it was a pretty story really in, in many ways. Uh, <laughs> and and, and, uh, and it, in essence, if you're literally saying that people cannot transmit the virus if they're in a school. And, and I don't know in, in many uh, preeminent scientists who would, uh, who would agree with such a statement, I guess. So. Yeah, uh, do you mind if I, yeah. Yeah, go on there, Seamus. Yeah. Sorry, I was just going to say, um, yeah, I, 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 I think this idea that schools are safe places, yeah, that narrative is definitely um, um, being pushed forward. And, and you know, we, we as teachers who work there, we know they're not. And I'd reiterate what Robert said there, like the kids have been very good, but like when you're doing one metre space and let's say, I mean, in an ideal world, you know, you've got kids and they're supposed to be sitting there. We all know that desks are moved, chairs are moved, windows are closed. You know, I find now that my kind of daily routine in school is almost like a, a COVID police um, man, you know, where I'm going in, windows open, masks, etc. Um, but I think one of the things that I, I found a bit shocking was um, I had assumed that there would be mass testing. I had assumed that following the ECDC guidelines that they would at the very least test if there was one child in, in a class or one student in a class that um, had tested positive, that they would at least test everybody in it. And it really, really annoyed me last October when they kind of they changed um, the definition for a close contact and they brought in these, so they basically, they, if there was a, a positive case in the school, um, as everyone probably knows by now, you know, they just ring the principal and they say, okay, who was sitting beside that person? How far were they away? Who was face to face? And generally what will happen is if in secondary school, it's maybe if that student is in a base classroom and then maybe three other classrooms, there may be two people identified, best case scenario, two people identified that may be sitting across from that person um, and be told they're close contact and be sent home. Um, I know of schools where that is the case. I know there are different narratives around different schools because there doesn't seem to be um, any kind of simple criteria and maybe there's other factors as well. But what annoyed me was, you know, the mitigating factors that when they ring up, they're asking about pods, they're asking about face coverings and they're making decisions based on what they're being told by the management in the schools. Now, I suppose I had um, first-hand experience of this. Uh, my son, who is in third class, he is 10. Um, he, he caught COVID. Um, and it was around the time that the criteria for close contacts I suppose were 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 manipulated by the government I assume to keep numbers down and what happened was he's in a primary school in in where we live and on a Friday uh, just before the midterm break we got a phone call to say can you come and collect the whole class were being let go because there'd been a positive case identified um, 
two hours later, we got an email from the school to say the HSE have deemed there no one is a ghost contact. So everyone was to go back to school on the Monday. Um, now, two days before that, there had been a case in another class in the school and they had identified a few close contacts in that class. So I rang the principal to ask why the HSC hadn't identified any close contacts. And he went, I don't know. He said, maybe they know the school better. Maybe they're happy that the windows were open. He wouldn't tell me definitively what happened. Um, so the case was then all the kids went back to school on the Monday. Now, my my son, I wasn't happy about him going back, but on the Saturday or Sunday, he was a bit lethargic, um, took his temperature. It was 37, just over 37. Now, the criteria for not sending your child to school or one of the COVID um, alarms is if they have a, a temperature of 38 or more. Now, he, he didn't. So for all intents and purposes, he was asymptomatic. Um, but I arranged for a COVID test for him through my own GP. Uh, on the Monday, he didn't go to school. On the Tuesday, there was another case identified in the class, in his class. So the HSC had sent everyone back in to that classroom. Um, and then on the Tuesday, when there was another case identified, the HSC then sent everyone home and told everyone to self-isolate for two weeks. There was another um, case identified then um, after that in the classroom. And there may have been other cases. I only knew of three. Um, as it happens, my son was one of those three. Um, and yeah, look, we just, um, he just, I was very angry. So I rang the school and I said, look, I said, I know, so this is my problem. So I rang and I said, um, I said to the principal, look, my son wasn't in on Tuesday when the whole class was sent home, but he is a, he's a positive test. So I want you to contact the HSE and let them and have them please log that that he caught that in school, that it's not a community transmission. And he said he would, and he never came back to me. So I assume my son, um, along with many other children, have been um, put down as community transmission. And again, I think it's just another example of how maybe figures are being manipulated and how school figures have been manipulated to show that there's low transmission because we're not testing close contacts. Um, and because there's probably lots of, a lot of asymptomatic students um, falling through the net as well. Uh, so, yeah, so look, I just thought um, I, I'd give that, you know, that got a lot of traction. I mean, I, 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 I was contacted by Zara King and TV3 to do a piece. Um, in fairness, Clareborn, I did a piece for them and the Irish Times contacted me as well. So it did get a bit of traction and there was a bit of questioning around the figures, the HSE figures. And I remember... Um, Emma O'Kelly, I remember Emma O'Kelly at one stage was questioning how the HSC were compiling their figures. And then there was just, then suddenly Emma kind of had this Damascan conversion about the figures after reading some article in, a, in the science magazine, which was essentially an opinion piece on um, transmission in schools. So, and then it kind of lost all traction, but look, we are where we are now. And as we can see, I think Sanders want to talk about that in a while about just the the amount of uh, school age children that are now um, have been tested positive is just shocking. It's through the roof, and it does not compare in any way with the official figures that we're being given. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm going to Sandra going to bring you in now. I just want to say as well that I, th I think none of us are medical experts, right? And um, but certainly 
we are asking a lot of questions and nobody seems to be getting any answers to these. And the, the point you raised there about your son, Seamus, is one that's definitely needed to be answered in that in terms of, let's say, uh, I had a son or a daughter in secondary school and I noticed they had a temperature. I noticed they had symptoms and I said, right, I'm going to bring them to the doctor and the doctor refers them for a test. And then the test, let's just say, comes back positive. Where does that go? Does that now go down as community transmission or does it go down as in the school? How do they even know where they caught it from? They, they will ask, the, I presume they'll ask the, 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 my son or daughter if I had one in school gone age themselves, where are they, who are they contacted with, etc. They'd want to know school. We, we don't seem to have any of these answers because there's a massive amount of people school going age with this uh, virus, but yet when it comes to school figures, they are very small. So that is, everyone seems very, very confused by all of that. And that's something that needs to be answered that is not being answered, you know? And, and I think that's really in this podcast, we're not trying to be the doctors. We're not trying to say, this is what's happening. That's what's happening. We are really posing questions that need to be answered to ensure that schools are safe, I, I suppose, is what we're really asking. Sandra, you wanted to come in there. Sorry, now. Yeah, no, like it's very much linked to what you're saying. And I hope that teachers listen to this will get a bit of a laugh out of this. But like, as we say in school every day, opinion, reason, evidence, you know, <laughs> that's what we teach on a daily practice. You know, you can have an opinion. Where's your reason and where's your evidence? And then we have this whole political world trying to just throw opinions and sound bites and lies at us. And we're like, right, fair enough. Bring us to the table, show us your reason and show us your evidence, which they never did. And so while we're not scientists, we have a very good ability of reading the science, reading the research. As you said, Andrew, we read the research. We were having these conversations back in the summertime. We were seeing the research coming from China. We were, and that's where we came up with our demands for ASTI at our CEC meeting, where we were actually vilified in the media to even ask for these safety measures. Well, we looked upon them, examined the science and thought about what will offer us the safest. And I think this is very important. There is a huge uh, movement now within the healthcare workers in England at the moment talking about ventilation PPE. And it's saying that like the people who are most at risk of getting infection are the people not on the COVID wards because they have the N95 mask, whatever the equivalent is, the top rate mask, the proper ventilation happening on them wards. And it's the workers working on the other wards that are four times more likely to contract COVID because of the sheer lack of PPE. And at the beginning of this, we said, well, when will they stop talking about just washing your hands and wearing a mask? They have to be talking about ventilation. And that. That, um, that petition that's flying around is called Healthcare Workers Talking About Airborne uh, and it's flying around and it's got huge scientific data backing up and backing up the research and that's what we've been constantly looking at and that's why we, we brought them measures forward through ASTI and what we voted it on and what was very clear as well was our ventilation and now we've come into winter months and ventilation cannot be met the kids are freezing in the classrooms there was no effort since March to increase the ventilation despite knowing the aerosols despite seeing all the research and that's what we're saying is our unions are meeting with them consistently to say shows the science shows the safety which they won't do and our unions left the meeting today and while their press release is quite vague it's quite clear we're not happy with the science they have it they've given an opinion they haven't given our unions reason and they haven't given us evidence and so basically the figures today says in the last two weeks there was 3,100 kids of school going age with this infection the research and SAGE is also saying, you, and it's worth repeating, that the index case in the households, while schools are opened, 
is the children. So it's a complete lie against what they told us, a complete lie from what was said in the beginning from the Chinese research, which, which had the biggest amount of data. So again, we can't, they can't be trusted. So we have to stand up and fight and we have to follow the signs and we have to blow the whistle on this. And most importantly, why do we have to blow the whistle on this is for the safety of our healthcare workers. Now, Britain has announced a complete lockdown because of the overwhelming um, stresses on the NHS that it cannot cope with the hospitalizations, it cannot hope with the ICU. They had what was called in Verge Commons Nightingale um, Hospital set up. There's no staff for them. And so, as you said, are they not looking out to see what's happening? Like they will say, we made an educated today in the news, we made an educated guess and opened up the hospitality, opened up the pubs and opened up all that. We kept the numbers. We went from double into three figures, which was very frightening for us when we had non-essential down. They opened up non-essential, they opened up restaurants and tried to run the pubs at the exact same time. And there's no evidence, no scientific evidence to say a school place is safe. We work in them, we know they're small rooms and we know they're badly ventilated. And the only thing that was keeping it was that non-essential services were closed, teachers were opening up, teachers were taking mass breaks, they were taking their kids on walks. I know I meant I spent more time out of the room than I did in the room. For, my, for me, looking for opinion reason evidence, looking at the ventilation. And we have to realise we're in January, February, March, it's not the same as going back. And we were blessed with the weather right up to Christmas. There was very little rain the other side of um, the year. So windows and the kids weren't wet sitting in our classrooms. That's not guaranteed. And now we're in four figures. We have 3,000 um, kids diagnosed and we know the testing and the tracing is not up to scratch. But what we do have to make sure that um, listeners are watching is the positivity rate. The positivity rate is 25%. That's for every four people showing up to the testing centre, one has it. That was way below 1%. Like that is unprecedented to think about sending us back for anything other than taking um, a supervisory role for um, essential services or people with no other option because um, teachers had been done online and we're in a much better position now. We can upload, the kids can look at our um, online classes and we can have the kids in there being supervised. Um, but there's no other way of opening schools that we appreciate essential workers have to have some child minded and this will be my last point they talked about us on napkins Nick coming up um Professor Nolan coming up with napkin sort sort of things for how the virus if you all keep your contacts down to two we can we can open up schools and it was like you know you're going to increase people's close contacts but again the secrecy policy that was around it we have to talk about it's not fair for people with vulnerable people in their households expected to go into school blindfolded every day and that's what it was expected of me as a teacher and of many other colleagues they're going in knowing that they've people very vulnerable at home in their household and acting like we existed in in a vacuum that secrecy policy cannot be tolerated by our unions we have a right to transparency we have a right to good tracing and contact and testing and we were not given that and we've voted on that and we said we would strike if we weren't getting that and now we have like over six thousand cases a day that testing allows for the one in four what's very important there's one in four people getting tested that are, are coming out positive and so the, the last thing i leave in is why i think schools should be open for very essential services is because there's a childcare crisis for years in ireland the primary source of childcare in ireland 
is a relative and and the number one relative to mind them is the grandparent the third source of childcare is precious it's a relative or a neighbor and so basically we've let that happen and so we're saying we have to protect our vulnerable don't visit them for christmas dinner but go back to school and make sure the grandparents pick the kids up and mind them and do all of the rest open up the non-essential services and therefore we force all the non-essential workers out to work places and the grandparents into child minding again it was an absolute farce and now they want to know why it has creeped up in the older ages that are at huge risk of dying from this and this is it and then the last thing i leave is because we must be looking at england and nurse broke the silence and she said what never happened in phase one is happening in wave one is happening in wave three that she and her colleagues are on wards that are full of children and that didn't happen in wave three so that has to be acknowledged here and that's our next door neighbor and that's the variant that's now here accounting for 10 the 90 the variant isn't accounting for the the growth the non-essential services is because it's 90 percent. but when you've got 10 percent of the variant now watch this space going forward that, that's what we have to watch for but it was make no mistake opening up the non-essential services and um refusing point blank to shut schools when the outbreaks were happening in the last two weeks and we can't trust them with our safety so we have to be speaking out and we have to be discussing this and talking about possible measures going forward but i think in particular sandy you mentioned there that they met the the, the unions met with um um with the department today I found it particularly insulting, I suppose, as a union member, that there was no health official, there was nobody with any expertise in health to explain how schools are safe. They knew that's what the unions were going to ask them, but yet no, the head officials from the Department of Education, the minister, and then just the the, the, the rest of the unions. But nobody, they didn't bring along, and I'm not blaming Neffin, I'm not blaming the doctors, I'm not blaming the specialists. The department didn't think to ask the doctor to turn up or anybody who's specialist in this to that meeting. That was just incredible. That that was just a waste of a meeting, essentially. Um, because but they'd be denying us that access, Andrew, from the beginning. Yeah. Can you remember, right, mm. Asti, from the beginning, that was like the tool. Mm. We're not we're not going to instruct our members either way until we meet with the health officials. So again, they're like separating us. They're, they're constantly trying to not bring us to the table because I don't think health officials will stand over schools open. And I just don't in a face-to-face meeting because they'll be asked for the science and they'll be asked for the evidence and it's not there. Yeah, I think the other thing as well, I suppose, that stands out from what you were saying is, you know, they were initially saying that we, we we have to put in these measures to keep numbers low so we can keep the schools open and keep. But now the numbers are going through the roof and they're talking about opening schools. So which is it? There's a complete contradiction, you know, in, in what they were saying a few months ago compared to, to what they're saying today. And yeah, I guess some I'm, in, in many ways they, they do talk about, you know, school damaging uh, Educate, of course, absolutely. If you're at home, if you're in a lockdown situation, it can be tough mentally on, on students, on parents, on teachers. It, it can be tough as well. But again, I suppose, again, as I mentioned at the start, Rob mentioned, start, the, the emphasis has to be on safety here. I'm all for uh, uh, mental health, absolutely, which is why I've often campaigned, often put motions forward against any cuts in schools to guidance counselling, etc. And I realize absolutely the importance of it. But it doesn't mean that schools with these crazy numbers now, going in that it should be okay for to open schools like, uh, like for someone... go on yeah go ahead go ahead yeah go ahead said, no, you were talking about safety there in dublin uh, on the set on the 4th of september after the first week um the seven day average in dublin was 49.29 today it's 1013 mm. and there's no change there's yeah. no change in any sense of emergency in terms of schools uh, in Ireland, on the, on the 4th of September, the seven-day average was 105 cases per day. That's now 3,014. Hmm. So we have this 
dramatically escalating events and we're still working off a plan which recommended no masks in the first place. Hmm. Now, what I can, all I can, all I can make it out was is that the plan was, and it appears to be the plan up until, and uh, up until you could say now is that the schools will be kept open uh, for as long as possible, uh, for, basically till the end of the academic year, if you like. Uh, every single day, they conceded the three days this week because the situation was so bad. They must have found out at the end of last week when Michal Martin gave his speech. Um, but the, the situation is that, you know, um, carry on business as usual. Now, I don't think that's a very, very responsible way to, uh, to, to, to run any government department, let alone one that deals with one million people uh, in close contacts in, in 735 secondary schools and 4,000 uh, uh, primary schools. So, you know, um, everyone needs to emphasize, and I think the politics of this will probably take over in the next couple of days or so, and that parents will simply say, well, if England, Scotland, Wales, if they're all closing down, why my children, uh, why my children are, you know, I've got grandparents, I've got parents uh, who need protection. Uh, why are they uh, being sent to the school uh, uh, and still being told that the place is safe? So I, I just kind of passed by that comment there. Um, could I come in there? Yeah, very much. Yeah. yeah, I think, I mean, I think, like it's, it, I think we have to kind of register just how dramatic this, this the change has been in the last just couple of days. Because I've been arguing at different meetings that you know the government basically seemed to think they were getting through it, getting through the the virus on the cheap. Basically, you know, not not putting in the proper investment in schools. You know, putting the minimal level of investment in hospitals just enough to kind of boost the ICU beds just enough. And there was even a question today as to whether they've even reached that target to provide more ICU beds. And their approach throughout the crisis has been spend as little as possible on public services. Spend some money okay on the pandemic unemployment payment, cut it as soon as you can, reduce it as soon as you can, but spend as little as possible on public services, even though there's a massive need. And that's been their approach from the start. Now, they got away with it, right? Let's say they got away with it for the first half of the year, but now they're in a situation that is absolutely uh, the exact opposite. Like it's just totally turned around 180 degrees in, in the last week or so. And that's, you know, and of course, because they thought they were getting away with it, they weren't really planning for it. Now we, uh, back in uh, at CEC, the ACI at CEC meeting back in, in September, we put forward a list of all of the different measures that we believed would be necessary to deal with just this kind of eventuality. And most of the measures, like the two metre distance, a few, a few of them weren't supported by members, but a lot of them were. And some things like, um, you know, guaranteed test turnaround times of 24 hours, a serial testing programme, um, laptops for every student in the country provided centrally. All of these things are needed right now, right? I think <laughs> for, a, review, for, a review of the high-risk categories as well. A review of the high-risk categories. Yeah. All of these things are needed right now for next Monday because I, I think schools will stay closed now but by, by all the sounds all the signs are that they will stay closed I wouldn't have even believed that yesterday or the day before but now it seems almost certain are schools ready some schools have been getting their digital platforms ready and so on but uh, are students ready do they have the laptops was the investment put in Norma Foley announced I think a little top up I think it was was it 15 million extra in December on on what was already planned expenditure for the digital strategy uh, for schools, which had a budget uh, of about, 
250 million over a couple of number over five years or something like that and she announced a little top up and seemed to suggest that that would allow schools to buy in the necessary laptops for students but when you leave it to schools who are so busy and just can't cope uh, can barely cope as it is with all the pressures that are that are on us now uh, expect schools to suddenly run out and buy a stack of laptops ready, you know to be ready for the next time people need to go online uh, it's not really realistic and uh, schools can only do so much. So that, that's why we were suggesting a central procurement where the Department of Education, like they procure PPE centrally, procure the laptop centrally so that when, uh, if and when the need arises, like it, it has now, we would be ready to go. And of course, they haven't done it because they don't prepare same way as they didn't prepare during the summer when uh, the cases were low. So um i think that we i think we have to just register how dramatic that is that that uh, situation i think this the other thing about um there's the safety in schools but there's also the role schools play in the wider virus and and we we heard it admitted tonight by boris johnson that their schools can be vectors and that's one of the reasons they're being closed now i don't know i don't know if we'll hear that admission from our from our politicians because they don't want to admit anything like that so they probably won't say it they probably just say it's probably better if we do or some make up some other excuse but they won't be willing to admit that schools can be vectors but it's clear to see i mean the in the last lockdown the second lockdown cases went the the lockdown managed to get cases down to something like about 250 a day right and the rate per hundred thousand was about 79 per hundred thousand but that seemed to be a floor and below which they couldn't get and and i'm not as a i'm not a like a health expert or anything but i i i'd say it's reasonable to, to assume that the reason they couldn't get below that figure was because schools were open and that if you wanted to really get really down to the levels of the 50 or so cases a day that robert mentioned that you would have to close schools and they just weren't prepared to do that so they said look well we're we're going to tolerate a level of 250 a day because we're not prepared to close schools and and they took that kind of what, what we've been describing all along as an an extremely absolutist position now you also have to remember yeah of course being at home is damaging for students and and, and there's there's all sorts of implications there but this sudden found concern, like they, they suddenly care about the well-being of students. They suddenly care about all these things when they spend years cutting guidance counsellors, when they won't fund, fund the CAM service, the Child uh, and uh, Adolescent Mental Health Service. They just won't fund it properly. You've had you've had uh, psychiatrists resigning in different parts of the country because of how, how, how poorly the, the local mental health services are. And now suddenly they're all concerned about all oh, the mental health of students. But, you know, what I think it, it, it is underneath that is that they're really concerned about the economy and that's their primary concern. And basically they know that if you don't get schools open, you don't get people going to work. But that's also precisely the reason schools should close if you want to suppress the virus, because if um, schools are closed, then employers are forced to allow people to work from home. And we saw in the second lockdown that employers didn't seem to be facilitating people to work from home because I think it was Dr. Ronan Lynn was quoted as saying that the car parks were full. Now, that's not to blame people, um, but it's to say that employers clearly were telling people to come into work and that they weren't facilitating working from home in the way that that was facilitated back in March. And now it seems that if, if, they, if they close schools, people will have no option to stay at home and employers will have to facilitate that. That seems to be what Tony Hulam was saying tonight. But again, it comes back to, uh, so schools obviously play a role. There's the, there's the danger within schools, but also there's, there's the role schools play in the wider um, economy and 
of course, because the, the, the role schools play in childcare, as well as Sandra said, there's no childcare provision put in place in the meantime, no more than there's no laptops, there's no childcare. And again, the, uh, the approach of getting through COVID on the cheap, they're trying to get through it on the cheap again. You just have to wonder this time, are they going to do, they, like I heard, was it Stephen Donnelly or somebody, I don't know, even, it doesn't sound like him, but somebody said there can be no half measures this time. Actually, I think it was one of the health, I think it was one of the uh, health people in the HSE said there can be no half measures this time. If they're serious about it, there will be no half measures. They'll put everything online, they'll close everything down and they'll reduce everything and, and go for as close as possible to a zero COVID strategy as they can, uh, which I think they should pursue anyway, because it's just, there doesn't seem to be any, like if it takes two months, three months, whatever, do it. And then at least by that time, they'll have vaccinated people as much as possible. And there might be some hope, but this this thing now, it just, it just the way they've, the way they've um, not prepared now is, now what does that mean for us in terms of the union? We've been, we've been, like it's been like banging our head against the wall the, you know the, the fact that they haven't prepared for this is coming home to roost now and I think we need to hopefully that will will enable us to to and our unions to actually say now hang on at this stage do you not see how serious it is and we've got to do something more than we have been doing cut the, the plain politics with the figures I think even I think somebody was asked a question at the briefing tonight the Neffert briefing tonight or the Tony Holland briefing tonight and it was kind of like this has gone way beyond the arguments about, you know, what's this and what's that. There's an emergency situation. They have to do something now. Yes, that's true. But we also have to acknowledge that a lot of people were saying these things and they were being ignored and they were being, you know, shown, oh, here's a here's a, here's a document that shows how many tests we've done and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, constant playing politics with the figures. And I think we'd have to, I think we, unfortunately, because of what's happened, we'd be in a stronger position to demand um you know, honesty and as, as Robert said, an end to the denial on this. But um, it will take, we will have to be strong and vocal and hopefully we'll get an opportunity uh, in the next couple of days at the various meetings that are coming up. Yeah, look, I still think, worryingly, I think that the narrative will still be around. It will be, look, our schools have been safe, but look, there's this new UK strain um, that's just coming in now to the country and we have to close them down to protect our schools and then they'll try and get figures down as low as possible and maybe try and open up in February, let's say. Um, and just speaking, let's say, as, as a trade union, um, I know this might sound a bit selfish to people who might be listening who aren't teachers, but I, I think apart from looking for um, uh, clarity around the figures um, and, and honesty around figures, um, I think the next thing will be if, if, if this happens, if we're asked to reopen again in February, if they get numbers down, um, is to speak about vaccination because like the vaccination, again, like everything in this country, like there's, I don't know what the problem is, but I, I, I'm i sure some of you saw that graph that was produced and how we're doing. Um, Denmark are on top. They've done 0.81 per uh, 100 people. Um, we're right down the bottom, just above Greece and France, um, 0.04 um you know and it's just like I, I the mind just boggles like you know we had this Stephen Donnelly and all the lads with their photo ops on a, a on a on a forklift bringing these force batches in and put them into a fridge and then locking them up for a week you know but yeah but I mean I, again 
I, I think that if the narrative is still going to be that schools are safe, we're only closing them as a precautionary measure, well, then I think the next thing unions have to do is to look for teachers, if they're going to reopen again in February, is to look for teachers to be bumped up that list. Uh, I know we'll probably get slated for it, um, but we will essentially, and we all know we're, we are working in um, unsafe environments. It, it, they, they called us frontline workers when they wanted us to go back and they were applauding us. And suddenly then we see what kind of frontline workers we are. You know, we were the 11th batch to be administered um, or the 11th level or batch to be given the vaccine, which means that we wouldn't be getting that vaccine till May or June, which is just ridiculous. What's the point? Like, you know. No, it's very important because like, look, disclaimer here, like I'm a socialist. So it's it's very important how we look at and how this was tried to be doing, done on a shoestring. And there was a, a release of a press team today that like we've 10 billionaires with over 100 billion, right? So they could spend a million a day for 200 years and still have change, right? And we know that a lot of money, people are making a lot of money out of this. And that very much a lot of this sort of been centralised and nationalised our healthcare system and even our schools and our creches. And we could have run this in a much, much, much better way. But what I am going to come down to is the fact that we're meant to live in this sort of democracy. We get a vote every four years. I can't say that anybody during COVID feels like they live in a democracy because what a democracy means, you've got daily control over your life. And I've never felt like I've had zero. They talk about mental health. I have never felt in all my life so much as I haven't been oppressed, zero, zero control over my life, being forced to go into work, walking on eggshells, afraid of bringing home a virus to my, my vulnerable mother, you know, who I live with. And it's like, like if workers had a democratic control, we put forward 10 excellent demands for safety. And one of them would have been blended learning. We were all about keeping schools open, but keeping them open safely and how much longer. And we were all about ventilation. And because they went for an absolutist policy, and again, the absolutist of opening up the economy uh, and throwing it in on top of us, this is where we are. So their decisions have us where we are. And I think it just has to be spoken about in a bigger context of New Zealand and those who followed a zero COVID policy because that was ridiculed and ridiculed and ridiculed by media, media commentators and all ahead of the capitalist agenda because we had to have flights, we had to have tourists, we had to have everybody in. And now, like, I've relatives live in New Zealand and they've had now, they're approaching into nearly seven months of some of normality, school every day. And, like, people will talk about the North and the fact that we share a border, which is super important to our history and I wouldn't dare dismiss it. But if we had daily democracy and if workers were in control, we would have forced the hand of a zero policy approach and safety and open up. And then the workers, this has happened in the past in history, that what, what workers coming together and organised and have cut across the Catholic Protestant division that's been sold in the north and the border. So if we forced our government down here and that had been forced by our union, are you telling me the workers of the north wouldn't have joined forces? And this came from a year where we had borders on every county. I couldn't go to school, but passed, I don't know, many checkpoints. And so we were telling us we couldn't have forced a zero COVID. And all of a sudden, the UK and the North, that's probably one of the most affected by, by this on austerity measures and, and on COVID measures, wouldn't have wanted to follow through. But the government used the scapegoat of the North and sharing a border that there was no way possible. But really, they didn't ever want to follow a zero COVID because they didn't want to mess with the businesses and the capitalist machines. And that's what they opened up in December. And I'll just finish on this point because it's so important because they did it all and did it all behind 
mental health. And um, I could say a myriad of things about mental health and funding over hundreds of years, but I won't. I'll stick with teenagers. There was a study done in Tala and one in three youth are suffering from their mental health. And that was way before COVID. And there is no funding. There is no services for the youth. So don't then let them talk about the teenagers that we deal with every day, that we see in front of us, that we have in overcrowded size classes, that we can't get to the bottom of their mental health and their environmental and the housing crisis that is affecting the next generation, which is the biggest effect, effect on the youth's mental health is the insecure living that they're facing. And they don't care about that. Yet they'll use this as a scapegoat and a reason for opening up schools when really it was to push the economy. I had to give a disclaimer as a socialist. So, um, but, you know, I think that will resonate with any worker that we didn't feel like we had any control over safety and working conditions whatsoever. So we don't really live in a democracy. You have to have daily democracy to be in a democracy. Thanks very much, lads. You know, I think as well, the whole that's one point that has been used about the mental health of, of students and, you know, the value of education in students' lives and they need education. And oftentimes this is coming from people who are not teachers, <laughs> like teachers signed up to be teachers because they care about younger people and bringing them on in life. That's why we became teachers. So there's no need to lecture us on the value of education and the value of um, school environments for people's mental health, social uh, interaction, bringing people on, uh, all, all of these, these issues. But as you just said there, Sandra, these things are being cut all over the place and nobody seems to be batting an eyelid, you know. Um, of course, we want to go to work. Absolutely, we want to go to work. Absolutely, I understand the value. That's why I became a teacher. But at the same time, like my wife is, is, is high risk and she's out of work. So I, I, I get it. I get that, you know, schools should be open. But are you telling me I should go into a school where there's 6,000 cases a day, possibly by the time we go back 8,000 cases a day, flying around schools, you think it's okay that I can go into that school and then come home and possibly uh, somebody in my family dies because, uh, you know, we had to open schools, you know. Um, absolutely, you know. And, and again, maybe it could be looked at. Maybe it could be looked at that, um, you know, some kids, uh, with, let's say for kids with autism, for example, uh, or kids with other special needs, or kids of, of, of um, workers who are literally in the hospital wards looking after people with COVID. And, and there could be a possibility of having some way that they can access the school or they can come in, you know, but, but to open schools, as they keep saying, fully. And, and they've done this from the very beginning. They didn't even want to look at half in, half out. They didn't want to look at a measure. It was just open the schools fully, um, you know, there has to be another way, even even if we get the numbers down again, there has to be a way of re-looking at schools, you know, um, and, and looking at that. And I think in terms of, I suppose, the unions, to be fair, um, the, the, I suppose the ASTI, uh, not the AOI or the INTO, but the ASTI did have a, a ballot in its back pocket all along that it could have pulled the plugs on schools, it could have had strike days, because none of what they asked for, none of, uh, was delivered on bar maybe the 24-hour turnaround and testing and the only reason that was delivered on is because cases got low so they had the capacity right and um, but they haven't increased capacity as far as i can see they keep throwing out these figures oh we, we employ you know we employed another 10 today another 20, but it's not making any difference it, reality is they done nothing uh, as far as i can see um and none of these uh, asks that the asti had were were, were met none of them and they, but the ASTI did at the same time didn't act on that. They they we sat they sat on it, uh, um, and probably in hindsight thinking about it, probably it could have been the right thing to do because you know the, it, the cases were staying low. People I think you know things seemed to be okay. So I, I 
this idea that teachers want to close schools and want to pull schools, it's not true because we've been sitting on the ballot all along and left the schools there, left the schools open. We could have said strike day, strike day, strike day. That's just not true. What, what anybody, people, I suppose, who are not teachers are listening to this. It's not true that teachers wanted to have schools closed at all. Um, but there comes a point where this is just getting get into madness territory, you know, and, and we're at that point now. And, and serious questions have to be asked and we want answers uh, for these things. And I know, uh, Seamus, you mentioned it may seem selfish, you know, others, workers looking in here. And, and I hear this as well in, in comments and social media and in, in media, you know, who the teachers think they are. I have to go to work. I work in a supermarket. I have to go to work every day. People are coughing in the supermarket. This is happening. That's happening. And I agree with you. <laughs> I, I agree. You, you shouldn't have to go to work every day if you feel it's unsafe. You shouldn't. You should just not have to, to go to work. But there should be structures in place to allow you to express that and to let, but unfortunately in this country, you know, not you don't have a right to be in a trade union in this country. People, a lot of people don't seem to realize that. There is trade unions in this country, but you don't have a right in this country to join one. Um, you do in the public sector, um, but in, in various other sectors, in the private sector, like in the supermarkets we're talking about uh, and, and other places, there is no right and they don't seem to be that well organized so that their unions could speak for them if they were more organized and and i would support 100 if shop workers felt it was unsafe for them to go in i would 100 uh, support them to say well i'm not going in there and i would say they shouldn't have to go in there you know so this idea that we're being selfish i really don't think so we're just concerned about the safety of, of ourselves and also the students of course and also their families because i firmly believe although i'm not a doctor but i firmly believe as the chinese uh, authorities or whatever they're called the chinese health authorities have said since day one this is spreading to children it's going into the different household 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 that's confirmed by sage in england today um, and by other professors as we mentioned earlier on are, are saying this all the time one thing that we want schools open we want students in of course we care about students that's why we became teachers in the first place but it has to be done safely for everybody's sake. And we don't have anybody telling us that this is safe. Um, you know, we don't, you know, and yeah, go ahead. Just yeah, on Andrew. that, Andrew, um, I think in government and in effort, um, a lot of issues arose obviously during the first lockdown from March to May of people lacking broadband, particularly in rural areas uh, of the mental health issues you've just mentioned there of parents who found it difficult to work at home uh, when their kids, their young kids, uh, you know, it's very, very difficult to get primary school kids to, uh, to you know, to, to, to do online learning. Let's, let's be honest there. So the you and the politicians were probably getting it in the neck. And so naturally, and just looking from their point of view and uh, things, the number of cases was, was, you know, obviously a heck of a lot lower than it is now in, in the summer when we really had a chance to finish off the virus, but never took it. For whatever we reopened everything on June 27th, and the opportunity we were literally down to single digit number of cases at that stage, and everything should have been kept shut. We should have done the New Zealand then, and we uh, it was a political and economic decision not to do it. So we reopened the schools, and I think ever since we reopened the schools, the number of cases was going up in September and October. In my opinion, I think in governments and in effort, this was uh, you know. This was the, the price to pay. I mean, as long as the number of cases kept were, was was low enough, uh, it plateaued around 400 until they had to close down to go back to level five. This was a you know this was a price worth paying, and people were getting infected. Um, but as long as the hospitals were not overrun and the schools were kept open, and people were still working from home as their kids were 
um, were in school, uh, the consequence was that, um, that in effect, that we were happy with this and we got all the plaudits, of course. News Talk loved us amazingly on <laughs> the last day before Christmas. Um, but even still, when you got to Christmas, there was this sort of sense of what crisis. The situation was getting worse and worse. The Brits were closing down, uh, announcing a new variant, a variant of the of the virus, which which young people were particularly uh, susceptible to. Seven times more likely to catch it, apparently. Seventy um, percent more effective um, than the, the the old variant. And we're saying, well, you know, the Minister of Education is saying on the 21st and 22nd of December, the schools must open because this is what we agreed as, you know, uh, uh, with the National Parents Council in some sort of circular three or four years ago. There seems to be no sense of when the situation goes wrong or when the situation gets out of hand that, you know, we really need to sit down and look at this. And even tonight, parents are home, teachers are home, assuming maybe that uh, schools will be closed next Monday. But in essence, um, they're waiting on Neffa to meet on, you know, I think the next, next, as I said, the next Neffa meeting is on Thursday. The cabinet's not meeting for Wednesday. A total lack of sense of urgency. And, you know, uh, the situation is, you know, get on with it and, and move towards some sort of give people, give people finality. Let them know what's going on next Monday. Let them plan. Let teachers plan. Uh, let parents plan. Uh, but in, you know, it's, it's sort of, it's, it's a case of let's take our time and, Really, we need more than that. Yeah, I think uh, I can definitely sense that from friends of mine and, and family of mine who, who are not teachers. Um, the amount of text messages I'm getting and even, you know, text messages saying like, what's happening? What's the story? Because I'm involved in the union to think I know. <laughs> I don't have a clue what's happening. And I'm, I'm sure neither do the trade union leaders who are going into these things. They don't know what's happening. So there seems to be a lot of, uh, as you say, stress, uh, frustration, not knowing what's going on. To me and to lots of other people, it's very clear uh, what's going on. The numbers are going up. That's what's going on and going up fairly sharply. And the numbers in ICU are going up and going up fairly sharply. Uh, so the department and the government, I suppose, certainly have to let people know what is going on. Um, because it is a lot of people are twisting, turning in their seats. They don't know what's happening, you know, and it's getting more and more stressful for people, I think. You know? Even just seeing there, like it's, you know, you look at Twitter, it does seem to be... Um more than certain now that this that the schools would be closed and i mean you know i think we should i think just to echo andrew's point like we don't want to be online we don't want to be teaching online i don't mm. I, I, I certainly don't I, I don't think it's teaching i think it's just putting up work and whatever and uh it's no, nowhere like the real thing and uh you know i'm actually you know kind of annoyed now that that they've let the thing get out of hand because because yeah. you know what's what's like on on different levels you know because now we're actually going to have to be in a in a for ourselves we're in a, in a difficult work situation students are in a difficult situation parents are in a difficult situation and then the what's happening now is this all this uncertainty like last year we're starting to creep in again in England, they have uh, already decided to cancel the GCSEs and the and the A levels, right? So the exams are gone in, in England already. I think they may, may have even made that decision earlier in the year. I think Scotland did already, and I think people were here hoping that we'd be able to have the exams as normal in in June, and that there wouldn't be any shifting around with the school year. But who knows what's going to happen now? We're back into the situation where, if uh, the current six year students who've already missed, um. 
they, they had some obviously engagement with us online, but it wasn't the same as being in the classroom with them. So they feel they've missed out on, um, and they have to, an, to a degree, missed out on education from last year. Obviously, it was kind of unavoidable, but but now they arguably are they're going to miss out a second time now in a situation that could have been avoidable if they had put in the proper, uh, if they had taken the proper measures from the beginning, like we had called for way back in, I think our CEC meeting was September the 9th, you know, and we, yeah. we, we put forward a motion that had about 10 or 12 parts in it, and we presented it as, as something that would, we felt would be a comprehensive response to COVID-19 to keep schools open and so on. And, yeah. you know, as Andrew said, very little of it has been implemented. They try, they're still trying to get through it on the cheap, and we don't know where it's going to go from here. So I, I feel actually like we, we tried to we tried to point this out from the start and now it's going to fall back on us now, uh, okay. just even as workers, as teachers. I mean, there are all the other consequences, I suppose, could arguably are more severe for other people than for us as teachers, but it's going to be severe for us now as well. It's going to be severe for the students, the unpredictability, all this kind of uncertainty is starting to creep back in again, where most teachers were probably just hoping five months to go, let's just keep going, get to the end of the year, you know, hopefully put it all behind us, the vaccine will be rolled out and whatever. Yeah. That seems to be just that seems to be just out the window now in, yeah. in the space of a couple of days. And, yeah. and I think they have a huge responsibility for for um, allowing that to happen and for not putting in the measures to prevent it. Yeah, go ahead, Sandra. Yeah, and it's super important. Like everything you're saying there about proper education this year, like I suppose, like we did put forward the idea of blended learning only when we knew they weren't going to take a zero COVID approach, right? Which would have kept us open, open longer. As well in December, like they said, buckle everything down. We, I really, really even though I was going to school every day, that was my close contacts. And, and a majority of my friends and, and in school and my colleagues, we were all doing the same. And then again, they just took it from us and opened up the whole society. And here we are at their at their agenda, at their cause, because they also sent a signal, like you can't go to your mother's house, but you can go out and shop and you can meet somebody for a meal and you can do this, which was having much, much worse effect on spreading the virus and any scientists would tell you that. Um, but also sent this set level idea that the virus is just around the corner and all's good, but we know the, the rollout and how long that's going to take and it wouldn't. But it is worth saying because I think people who aren't in school at the moment, as much as being in school is, is a million times better than being online. We cannot negate the fact that this year has been horrible in schools as well. Right. So one walking on eggshells, that's that's OK. But you, you do forget a little bit as long as you're in there and your day is going. So you do. But I felt like a lecturer this year. I, I like new kids. I don't know their faces. I don't have an advantage. I haven't been able to do group work. I haven't been able to act creative. I felt like I've standed and delivered through a mask, through a microphone. And, and the kids, likewise, I've, I felt like I've gone back 100 years in writing down and do questions. Like there was nothing you could do. And there was no banter between them and their friends probably a little bit in between a mass breaks, but like the idea that schools open and these kids got this wonderful new teenage life back again, like that's not true. And had they followed a zero COVID approach, our kids could have could be having a life like the children in New Zealand right now, having a normal life, interacting without masks, doing group work, doing project work, doing whatever we want to do with the creativity and all the different types of learning uh, tools available to us. But it's a very sterile, it's better than online, but it is very sterile. Um, and I haven't got to know my children, students' personalities. 
um, they're learning techniques, anything like that. So it's very, very difficult. So even if, like for all the risks that they want to take to send the kids in for some normality, it's not a full normality. They're sitting there and, you know, you know, like robots, they've been excellent, as Robert said, but not what you want, not why I went into teaching. No banter, no back and forth, none of that. Asking questions, can't hear their answers under a mask. So then I give up answering, asking questions. I just get them to, to write, to work, walk around and observe. It's been very, very difficult year, online teaching and offline teaching. And it did not have to be that way, except they put the economy first. And I think that has to be very important when people are pushing them back, pushing us back in. They robbed us of that opportunity, but they most importantly robbed us of the serial COVID approach, which I, I think would have been the best to have some sort of normality by now. Yeah, and yeah, I think a lot of people agree with that. And it, it, I, again, I suppose um, we are listening to us all here. Uh, obviously, we, we we think given the situation, numbers increasing, uh, you know, more people in the classroom could have this uh, than they saying it's airborne, it's spreading asymptomatically. So. I suppose the, the, the load of virus, is that the word they use, the load of virus around the classroom would be much higher. Uh, so the risks are much bigger. So most of us, I think, believe that we should be returning to remote um, learning come the 11th. I think that's most people's opinion here. Um, and certainly as a PE teacher, it's the worst news ever because we I would like to be in rolling around in the muck, as you said, having the banter, you know, uh, this idea of staring into a com computer screen and, and, and delivering lessons that way and giving them exercises to do. They try to do them themselves. It's just, it just isn't the same, you know, and we, but, but, but as, as was said at the very beginning, the safety has to be the first consideration, you know, and, and getting rid of this virus. I suppose, look, that's, we've given that a good air, but I think something we, we haven't touched on really is where to now, like, so let's, let's say they, we get the, uh, we, let's say they do go remote learning, uh, which seems to be what they might do. Uh, let's say they do that for a while and we get the numbers back down. You know, we still have this, the, the ASDI still has this ballot. Like I think for me, um, I suppose one of the issues when we get back into school is one of the key things, I suppose, is the, the high risk uh, teachers going back into these environments again. Uh, they haven't been up to now really taking any notice of. Um, you know, I've heard of people with a lot of things wrong with them being told to go into schools and to teach that you're fine. I've heard of some people I've heard that are allowed to work from home, but. I, really, the question I'm asking here is, what what, what do we do now? Like, we do, we do the exams, uh, you know, coming up. I suppose personally, my own personal view on that is they should try and hold the exams uh, because last year was a fiasco, it was a disaster. Um, I think they should try and hold them, but they have to give again. They have to give certainty. They have to give clarity to people in terms of the exams, uh, teachers and students, if they're doing the leaving cert or or junior cert it'll have to be some sort of adapted exam um, because remote learning is not the same. They have missed some time. Um, it'll have to be some sort of adapted exam. Maybe, you know, maybe give, not necessarily change the exam a hell of a lot, but certainly give more choice. So if you haven't covered a lot of the coursework or a lot of the course that you would have more choice, that there would be something you would be answering or something along those lines. But that's just my view. And my own view then on, on going back is if we are going back, something certainly has to be done for the high risk teachers that are there, you know, um, and, and, you know, to, again, the safety, the, the contract tracing again, all has to be up. And of course, as was mentioned already, the vaccine, can we be pushed up that list, uh, please? You know, um, I suppose really, but I'll leave it up to yourselves to throw in your, your views on where to now from here, obviously given if they do close the schools, we all believe that after that, beyond that, where, where to. Agree with your points there about the vaccine it just has to be, if they want schools opened, which they do, which is a huge part of society and just has to be prioritised up the list. 
more more than anything, it also takes the pressure off the healthcare services once they've gotten it known that their children can go out to work or go out to school and they don't have to risk the spread. It's the biggest, biggest unified place where we need people to return to. So why wouldn't you have them up the list? You need the kid, children vaccinated, they need the teachers vaccinated because as you just discussed there, Andrew, we talked about what if a teacher's high risk. We just can't keep ignoring teachers are living in high risk households. So fine, I'll live, but the person I'm living with will die. Sure, I'll be out and grief live. You know, that's a whole, you know, sort of vicious ball game they're playing there. So it has to be. And again, we talked about ventilation, PPE, that has to be looked into usually the, vent- the ventilation, the, the stronger masks for people who are high risk that have, have to be there or living with people in high risk households. Um. That, that just has to be looked at. And, and the reason, because people might say, well, why do you think you deserve to be pushed up that list? Because of the ventilation problem, because we know the longer time you spend with somebody is the bigger chance of getting a big viral load, which is, you know, the biggest risk of health. Primary school teachers spend six hours in the room with the same 20 people. Like that's just huge trans- transmission there straight away. And there's not a lot of non-essential jobs that require that and, and just like you know primary schools really do even ourselves we change every hour or change every two hours they most certainly six hours in the room with 40 people so I just think they just crash crash workers and primary school workers really have to be up that list and then as well and they need like older kids will be able to remote learn for longer so they have to be prioritized straight away I would think looking at the education as loads more while orders come in yeah, so just to come in there on the vaccine, seemingly the department spokesperson said today when they were asked, I think it was Aon O'Reardon asked, would teachers be pushed up the list? And I think the response, which was quite telling, I think, was that the response was, well, teachers aren't at the bottom of the list, you know, um, but we're almost at the bottom of the list. And they said they had, didn't even have dates yet for when teachers um, would be vaccinated. But they said, we hope it can be advanced as quickly as possible. Um, exams again hugely problematic and it's just again it just smacks of the department or the government's idea that as Mark said that we can just chance our arm and just kind of keep our fingers crossed that everything will stay the same and we won't plan for any any contingencies for I don't know what what the reason is but here we are again we're looking at we're going to get now like that leaving cert student that was on today and drive time very articulate um uh young man um and again it's going to be the meal is going to be flooded now with the poor leaving cert students what's going to happen to them and no one will have the answers and it'll be teachers who get blamed and the department they've had like they should have known that the probability of the exam possibly not taking place i hope it takes place um, that that was going to be a very real possibility. Um, but again, and also schools closing. What 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 plans did they have for blended learning? That stupid document that landed. I think was it near the end of the final term that the department issued some documents and guidelines for online learning. Like they're just, I it's just a ridiculous department. Yeah, could I just mention there as well on, on that, the, the guide for online learning, because at the ASCI, we set up a subcommittee of standing committee to discuss, um, you know, the ins and outs of online learning if we had to return to lockdown. And one of the things that kept coming up in the discussion was, oh, well, the department are working on their um, plan for online learning. You know, they might might be available in the next week or two. 
and we should try and like see what they're saying, see what we're saying, see where there's a kind of a, a common ground in terms of what what's acceptable. You know, teachers teaching to a full class online or whatever, or classes being recorded. All these sort of issues were were, were coming up, um, and we were trying to formulate a position on it as the ASCI like in this subcommittee and to report back to the committee, which is the right thing to be doing. But just I'm thinking of myself sitting on that committee and we're waiting for a department document. Why <laughs> Why were we waiting for a department document? Why were they taking so long on it? Like, they, you know, there clearly was no urgency as far as they were concerned to get that document ready. Now, again, <clears throat> this is the sort of complacency thing as well where they were saying, oh, we're getting through this, lads, you know, we're getting through it on the cheap. We don't, it looks like we're not going to need this. Haha, <laughs> you know, let's just uh, put some document together that we won't actually need to use. You know, it's almost it's almost kind of um, cavalier <laughs> in terms of their attitude. And uh, so we were doing our best. Uh, and you see, one of the things that was was um, was weighing on us was that that because the department was taking such an absolutist position, like I think there was a turning point after the midterm break in October when they went into level five and kept schools open at level five. I think that sent a message to people that the department essentially didn't care about teachers or any staff or anybody working in schools, that no matter what the circumstances were, level five, there is no higher level, right? That schools were going to be open. So that's that kind of maybe induced a sort of, um, what would you say, a um, just a sense of fatalism maybe in, in teachers. So we're going, well, look, it doesn't matter what we come up with. If we come up with our documents saying this, that, or the other, sure, they're just going to make us come into school anyway. So you know what what are we doing here like they're, they're taking this and i was actually i was actually of the view that that they were they would never ever close schools again because such was all the union meetings i've been to the the andrew will tell you about it, the, the the torturous torturous uh standing committee meetings where this has gone round and round and round discussing 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 and you just feel like look lads forget it they're not going to do anything they're just going to keep schools open and when you have a Department of Education that, you know, is supposed to be taking into account all the various different factors that just adopts this absolutist position, it does have an effect on people. And and, and you just feel like you're you're almost like um, you're just being, you know, we, we, we've all had that joke over Christmas, sure, like, you know, teachers don't get infected. We're all immune and we have our superpowers and stuff like that. But underneath that joke is the fact that we're dealing with a, an employer that, that literally doesn't almost sees us like that and, and just says, I actually go on after work, what are you talking about? You're grand. I mean, and, and you know, you don't, don't worry. Uh, and, and we're, you know, even if you have complaints, we're not going to listen to them. So I think that that kind of uh, fed into a lot of um, teachers' views and teachers' feelings about the whole situation. And um, now the situation obviously is so dramatically, such a dramatic turn in the situation, all this becomes kind of, more obvious now is what, what's going on what, now. What, what what do we do? Um, what do we do next? I mean, I, I think we should still be calling for the exams to be held as normal in June, right? Um, but the, for the exams to be reduced, not not just kind of reduced in in sort of the small way that they've been reduced so far, that they would be, would be reduced more substantially, and um, like like people have been calling for cutting out topics or cutting out sections or whatever, right? So you have a big biology course. I don't know, don't do biology, but just take an example. Cut out certain sections if you can. 
you know, if you have Spanish or whatever, cut out, um, you know, instead of having two long comprehensions, have one long comprehension and stuff like that to, to, to reduce the pressure down or whatever, whatever they can come up with. But it shouldn't be that it, we should still try to have some sort of uh, certainty in that sense. Now, again, but the only thing is, and I know we all want certainty and then we're calling for certainty and everybody says they want certainty. But I think the one thing we don't know, and this remains to be seen, is the is the, the new variant. And if it is, if it is as as transmissible as they say, and if it is 60 or 70% more transmissible, and if it gets into schools, I mean, you could think all bets could be off altogether, like in, you know, unfortunately, and, and that could be so I understand I understand the, the the I want certainty myself and we all want certainty, but then maybe it isn't possible to give certainty given this new variant. And how long you now it could be two weeks, three weeks before they have enough data to say that the new variant is here and it's spreading and it's much more rampant and so on. Maybe that's the reason why the cases are so bad now anyway but there probably does need to be some sort of uh, gathering of figures on that before they can say definitively if that's the thing but if it is as bad as they say what we've been doing up to now just will not just will not suffice and we will have to start looking at things i think they they will have to start looking at things that they dismissed earlier on we you know we proposed in in our motion the two or the two meter distance in classrooms and we were told that would close schools if we if we passed that motion, that it would be a lockout, right? That's what some people were saying. But as Andrew had said at the time, no, you can have two metre distances if you have half in, half out, you know, half the students in one day, half the students in the other day. Maybe it'll take moving to that kind of situation. Um, but all of the sort of... Um, the, the, the kind of entrenched position that they've had up to now the, the absolutist position they've had up to now, the no to everything we've asked for that they've had up to now, that's going to have to change, especially if this if this new variant is as, as, is as, as, as uh, transmissible as they say, as contagious as they say. I think, so I, I don't even know if we can formulate a full position here uh, in terms of what we might be asking for, because by the time we get to the weekend, it could be that there's a, there's a different situation and we're looking for something else. So I think that's part of the, the problem as well. That's, no, yeah, that's the answer. We just want to be part of the table and we want to be meeting the health experts. And that's well, this, you see, this is the thing, like, like we, we have our opinions and we have questions, right? Um, but one thing that struck me, and I said this in, 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 the, in the podcast on, in terms of the Building Momentum podcast, one thing that struck me is that uh, the way things have changed, like Mark, you were referring to there, that document about online learning and so on. Now, the department keeps saying we're meeting all the various partners, we're consulting with the various partners, but now the thing, the way things seem to be done is that they meet you. And I think these meetings are just for the sake of meeting. So they could say in the media that they met or they're meeting the unions or they're making the various partners or they're having consultation. That's what it seems to me. Because what actually happens at those meetings is they go in, the unions give their point of view and then the the department walk away, as I said, in the last one. And then whatever policy they're going to drop just drops. And most of the time, it's not anything of the opinions of the unions were in it or nothing, the stakeholders, the people who actually teach the students. And then, of course, you get social media saying they, there was consultation with unions. How, how did the unions agree to this? How did the unions? But they didn't. The unions never agreed to any of this stuff. It's just they went in, they give their opinion 
And then this document just drops or the latest policy. And it happened on that remote learning one. It happened on the, the leave inserts uh, time around the exams or the junior cycle. It's been happening constantly since this. Uh, and they, But the, the frustrating thing about it all is they keep saying that there's consultation. Now, to me, the old way of doing things consultation was they meet the various partners. They discuss what do you think it is. The union would, or would get to say no. The department could say, well, look, we absolutely have to have this. And then they say, well, if you have to have that and you're not doing this, you know, that's normal negotiation. It's normal meeting in the halfway, meeting in the middle somewhere. But that that normal negotiation is just gone. And I don't care if that's the way they want to operate, but at least say that's the way they're operating. Don't keep telling everybody that there's consultation with the partners when there clearly isn't. Yes, you meet them purely for optics, in my view, as we saw today, uh, that they brought in the the, the unions uh, and didn't even bother bringing anybody from any from Neffed, from you know from any from anywhere in the HSC anywhere. Didn't bring anybody. Just turned up uh, to discuss COVID and safety in schools and reopen the schools. And not a doctor in sight. You know, it's 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 madness. Yeah. But this just shows their their attitude. You know, uh, towards. And every time they talk about schools, every time the department talks about schools, they say it's safe. Students don't get the virus. You know, and even if they do, they don't get sick. Absolutely, one hundred percent true. Absolutely agree. Obviously, there's exceptions to rule. There is some students who do get very sick, and and they can have drastic consequences. Uh, but the vast majority of them know. But, you know, there is other people in the room besides uh, students, you know, there could be the 50 year old, the 60 year old, 65 year old, the 20 year old teacher with uh, health problems standing at the top of the room. Uh, it's, it's madness. Uh, and especially now with the cases so high, it's, it's, it's just crazy, you know. And so, look, I know that the podcast, unless anyone's saying, the podcast has been very frantic, I suppose, jumping from this to this to this. But I mean, look at the situation we're in. It is very frantic out there and we don't know really know what's going on. But uh, look, I think I think it's done its job. It's It's got a few teachers opinions out on, on what's happening. Um, I hope people, people will enjoy listening to it. And that is where we left it. Uh, so thank you very much again to our guests, Mark Walsh, Sandra Fay, Seamus Keane and uh, Robert Whelan. Please subscribe to this podcast if you enjoyed it and we will have plenty more coming your way. And I'm sure we'll be revisiting this topic in the future, given how quickly things uh, are changing. Um, if you would like to come on the show or if you'd like to email any your opinions and we can read them out in the next podcast or if you'd like to offer any topics or whatever, uh, then you can email us at uh, insideourschoolspodcast at gmail.com um, and we'll respond and uh, hopefully talk to you soon. So again, thank you for listening um, and uh, stay safe out there.